the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Michelle Tafoya podcast. Affirmative action is being considered by the Supreme Court. That law could be struck down. What's that going to mean? And who better to talk about it than Charles Love, who has written books on the subject? Um, he's got this podcast called Cut the Bull. You really should check it out. We're going to cut the bull as we talk to him next. It's time for the Michelle Tafoya podcast. So who is Charles Love? He is a podcast host, Cut the Bull. He's an author of three books. They are very worth the read. Um, he, You may see his byline in Newsweek, uh, a number of places, Race Crazy, BLM 1619, and the Progressive Racism Movement is his most recent book. Keep having to put on the glasses, folks. This is not a good sign. But Charles Love and I met sort of over the internet and I went on cut the bull with him and his two co-hosts and they're going to be guests of mine in the future as well. And I just found them funny, refreshing, smart, wise, and I invited each of them to come on. So Charles is here with us and we're going to talk about affirmative action. We're going to talk about this case in New York of the vet who took matters into his own hands on the subway car and is now being, um, accused of murder, basically, of a black man. So there's a lot to discuss, and this guy has great insights. He is going to join us. But first, a little breaking news for you. And you know I'm going to talk about GenuCell, G-E-N-U-C-E-L. They have upgraded their most popular package to feature a couple products that I am crazy about. Their top-selling deep-firming vitamin C serum, plus their ultra-retinol moisturizer with natural retinol alternative. Pretty cool. And right now, you can take advantage of this limited-time package upgrade for 70% off. Why would you waste time and money to go have work done on your skin when you can have products shipped to your door that can do so much for your skin. Here's a Genucel.com uh, review from Robert in Blessing, Texas. I purchased Genucel as a gift for my girlfriend. She said she saw results so fast. We joined the concierge program immediately. It's honestly the best skincare she's ever used and is extremely impressed with all the Genucel products. So am I. Her skin is noticeably softer and smoother. So is mine. I can see and feel a difference too. She was already beautiful and Genucel has made her more beautiful. I love that. So Genucel's secret is a family recipe from over 20 years ago that makes it safe for all skin types. And it's perfect for men and women. It's made by a compounding pharmacist in small batches, always safe, cruelty-free, and natural. Go to Genucel.com slash Michelle. G-E-N-U-C-E-L dot com slash Michelle with one L and save over 70% off Genucel's most popular package, Featuring both the Genucel Ultra Retinol and the Firming Serum. Do not wait. Genucel.com slash Michelle. Genucel.com slash M-I-C-H-E-L-E. Get a complimentary spa essentials box with every package order, plus a free upgrade to priority shipping. Genucel.com slash Michelle. Charles Love, you're going to love him, is next. Charles, I'm so grateful for your time. And I'm looking at the three books 
It is just three, right? You're kind of <laughs> prolific at these. Only three. Yeah. Only three books. The most recent race crazy BLM 1619 and the progressive racism movement. This is interesting timing that we're having this discussion because as I'm sure you know, the Supreme Court is considering, you know, whether or not to strike down um, this affirmative action at the university level. And we're seeing really interesting trends regarding who's getting into school and especially the elite schools. Right. What do you hope the Supreme Court does? Well, before I answer that, I got to say you, kudos to you for that last piece you added, because I talk about how it's rarely mentioned. You talked about admission. Then you said, particularly the elite schools. Yeah. It's somehow this got twisted into, because at the time it made sense. Uh, there were opportunities that weren't uh, available for blacks as they were for other people. So admissions were you know, writ large, blacks had difficulty getting into colleges, right? We, we look at Mississippi, Alabama, things that we can go back and reference. But now the admissions are about the same. So really what we're saying is admissions to, as you said, elite universities. So the question is, do certain groups have a, a right to, uh, you know, admission to these, you know, elite schools and things of that nature? So I have a problem with affirmative action. I don't think it was, I understood the intent, but I don't think it was the proper way to try to solve the problem because we had just come out of open discrimination against groups and the Civil Rights Act of 1964 was supposed to rectify that. Now it doesn't close the gap, but it's supposed to say, okay, going forward, we're gonna clean the slate and treat everybody equally. That's the one point I say, they should have made some kind of monetary compens compensation or something to shore up that difference, but not do what they did. Because what they did was openly say, right after saying we're gonna treat everyone equally, then say, we're gonna not treat everyone equally <laughs> and go against the law we had just passed. So them striking, the Supreme Court striking down affirmative action, I don't think it will have a, as great of effect, I'm sure we'll talk about later, as people on either side of this issue thinks it will, but I think it's the right thing to do. That is really interesting. I'm pausing because, John, can you mute your mic, please? We're just hearing all your ambient noise. <laughs> okay. No worries. All right. Well, so what do you think should the, the should it have just stayed? Look, we're, we're going to treat everyone equally. That means now that when you apply to school, it's it's not going to matter. I mean, checking these boxes to me, I, certainly some people have taken advantage of it, Elizabeth Warren, um, it, to a certain extent. You know that that they've used it to their advantage. What what do you, what should have been the original approach? Well, let's get honest about this. We're going to have this conversation. Let's be honest about it. The whole point, whether you agree with it or not, the point was to assist blacks who have been mistreated over years. That was the point. Right. So nothing against women. I love women. I love Michelle. But it wasn't about you. Right. Affirmative action was not about you. It was about the way blacks have been treated. So the, immediately after they passed it, they said, well, let's throw sex in too. Right there, you're already changing it. So you look at it today, the intentions were great, but now more white women are benefit from affirmative action. Elizabeth Warren, even though she says she was Native American, right. but more of them benefit from it than the blacks it was meant for. So now, you, then, then there's the, the, the issue of what is a black person? 
So <laughs> again, it was for Jim Crow, slavery, the history in America. But you can come here as a as an immigrant from an African country, and you you benefit from it. And for the school, it, it you know for the people who virtual signal, it helps them because they can say. Well, you wanted, we wanted to raise the number of minorities we, we admitted, and we did, but there are affluent blacks from other countries or affluent blacks from America who are doctors and lawyers. So it's not helping any of the people they wanted to help. So what should have happened? What they should have done, and I'm going to sound like the crazy right wing is like, I can't believe you're saying that, but it's particular to the time. I'm not saying it now, but at the time they should have passed the Civil Rights Act of 64 and then to close the gap where they could to say, there was a wrong that was done and we need to compensate for it. So they should have given, you know, specific reparations at that time or ideally after uh, doing reconstruction. But, you know, it never would have passed at that point and then move forward and then say, that's it. The, the bar is equal. We're going to use economic means to close that gap and to uh, afford these people additional opportunities and to help them get out of this, um, this, this hole they were in and then move forward. What you should not do is say, we want to treat everyone the same and then proceed to not treat them the same. Well, I couldn't agree with that more. I mean, look, you're saying, you know, let's get rid of racism. And yet uh, I think there are many people who are being subjected to racism. It might not be the racism people think it is, but right. because of affirmative action. But you mentioned the word reparations. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. The R word. So R -word. were you in favor of reparations in 64 after the Civil Rights Act? I, I could have been some 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 very isolated, specifically uh, targeted reparations for Jim Crow. You can't really give slavery reparations because who would get it? Be small people. I don't think you should pay reparations, you know, after X number of generations. So it gets a little more complicated. Today. So when people hear that, the people who are proponents of reparations get excited, and then they hear the second part, they get upset at me. Or <laughs> you know, the conservatives say, "What you saying, reparations? I'm not saying give me a check today, but I mean, there's nothing wrong with saying. You know, there was a gap at the time and the government calls part of it to pay people there. But even if you were going to do affirmative action, which I didn't agree with, it should have been sunsetted. It should have been a specific amount of time. Right. So there weren't enough parameters. See, the, the, the bigger problem is the way you write the law. Let's think about it logically. There was no way they could pass the Civil Rights Act and then say what they really wanted to say. Like earlier, I said it was about the experience of black Americans. But notice affirmative action doesn't say black. So in theory, if that's really what they were trying to do, it should have said, blacks have been mistreated. So we're going to 
create opportunities so blacks can have this. So in job, uh, in government jobs, blacks will get this. In college admissions, black, but it doesn't say black because you can't say black because you just wrote a constitutional uh, law to say that race should not be uh, a selection criteria. So if, if you can't use race, you can't then turn around and say race. So they just say marginalized communities and this type of thing. And everyone has a different idea of what that means. Well, we can all be marginalized, can't we? I mean, every single human could find a reason to feel marginalized. I feel marginalized because I'm, you know, part Irish and part Hispanic. And really, when right. you started mixing that Irish in, all everything went to hell for us. I, right. I, I, joking, mom. I'm, I'm kidding. But, you know, th so that this is really interesting. Um, if affirmative action is struck down by the Supreme Court, which many people are expecting, what do you think the fallout's going to be? Do you, is there, I think someone wrote today in a, an op-ed piece in Roll Call or Politico or Daily Caller or somewhere, and I'm and I should look it up and find it. But the gist of it was, there is going to be mayhem in the streets because people are going to think this is a racist move by conservative Supreme Court. Hmm. That's laughable. Um, like most of the things, everyone, especially things, are so politicized and polarized. So everyone's going to find creative ways to push whatever they believe. I think. I saw one of the universe, like MIT, look it up. I think yesterday or day before, say, we'll follow the law if, if it's struck down. We will follow the rules, but dot, dot, dot. I think Berkeley has already start, stopped, but they find other ways to get around it. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what's going to happen. The, you know, what, what do you think the push to eliminate all of the admissions testing is? They're yeah. saying that if we use this specifically, merit-based criteria in order to admit people and certain groups that we want, we don't get the right mix we want. We just play with what we use in order to adjust the mix. Okay. So it doesn't mean that an Asian American or white American won't still be eligible, but it would increase the number of blacks and Hispanics that would be eligible if we throw out the test. So all those Asians getting 1600 on the SAT won't mean anything because we're not using SAT. So you're using other things to consider, but now that one big piece where you have the biggest advantage is gone. So you still have great advantage. You have a couple other advantages, but you know, they'll just find other ways to admit other, other people. So it's, it's just going to be like anything else. It's like the abortion issue. People didn't like that, but some states that were more conservative said, okay, we're going to lower the, the, the threshold of weeks for abortion. Other states said, we're going to be the sanctuary. You come yeah. here, we will fly you here. We will pay for everything. We'll cover everything. So people just adapt. So the fact that they think that all of a sudden blacks will never be able to get into Harvard anymore is insane. It is insane. I, I, I mean, I, I saw some stats on Harvard and their admissions, and it seems that um, they definitely are using race as an entry point. I, I Look, I have a son applying to college right now, and even though he's got my Hispanic blood, he doesn't, quote unquote, identify that way. He he never has. He just doesn't think it's necessary. He doesn't want to, um, even though his college counselor sort of said, hey, it could be an advantage for you unless this thing gets struck down. He has a nice ACT score. He has good grades. But mm. I think people are going to see a young white man, and that's going to really limit his opportunities in college. What do you think? Well, I mean, I, I see, I appreciate him taking the moral high ground, but he wouldn't be lying if he checked the box. Just check the box. Exactly. They don't see you when you apply. Just check the, 
Yeah. I mean, well, well, tell him, ask him this. Ask him, how is that any different from, I, I mentioned earlier, that it was specifically for uh, the assistance of Blacks, but then they added sex. Because what was true, women didn't have the same opportunities either. Right. But it's a different issue, but they added it on. And so women took advantage of it. So what is the difference with him identifying as a woman and being able to get in because they Ooh, wanted more women here? If we allow really, that. You know, maybe, so he, maybe he and I so should talk about that. that. He really is partially Hispanic, so he could really check that box. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's he is taking the moral high ground, and I'm proud he of him is. for that. For but, him, yeah, right. it, it is. If he um, really has his eyes set on that school, I mean, he could make the line a little shorter. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, and I, I kind of applaud him for taking this high ground because, quite, quite frankly, I, I just wish merit was back in vogue. What, you know, we've seen, I feel like we're a country in decline, Charles. And I feel like a lot of that has to do with this enabling of quote unquote marginalized. Some of people are marginalized. Um, I see it with this, this lower, lowering standards, lowering bars and saying, you know, because certain people can't reach the high standards we should lower them so that everyone can clear the bar. And in doing so, we're seeing literacy rates plummet, math scores plummet, civic scores just dive. And to me, how is this making us all better <laughs> in this country? To me, it's making us worse, weaker. I, I, I'm unclear on where we go from here to turn this around. What do you, what do you suggest? Well, uh, uh, suggestions for turning around, I think that's rough until people realize that it's not all politics. Don't go into your political tribes or they just shrug and don't pay attention. Unfortunately, it's not that positive, but I don't think much will change. But one thing I do want to say is you make a good point, And I hear it often about when you lower the standards, what it does for people. And is it really helping the, the, the kids who are struggling? And all that stuff is true. But I like to step back and look at the whole of it. We have another problem. If we're lowering the standards and we're letting people in and we're doing all this stuff, it's not helping the kids. You know, you get a kid, they talk about mismatching, of course, a smart kid who would do well at a state school, going to Ivy's and struggling and all that kind of thing. But what about the other end? You know, Americans, we all have, a, you know, tend to be, you know, have this positive, except for the people who hate America, but a positive view of your country. And like, look at the things we accomplished, right? Just like your sports team, rah, rah. Yeah. Well, we are known for innovating, for creating, for building, for being the first to do all these things. How are we going to do that if we don't, without meritocracy, if we don't cultivate our best, if we don't have push our scientists and our mathematicians and our creators to be the best? Because they might be bright and they might be perfectly matched to go to Harvard. But if they go to Harvard and now Harvard has, you know, kind of you know, weaken the, the, the stream of education there to allow more people. They think diversity is our strength and not, you know, being brighter and better than everyone else. So at the top, it will be a little weaker than it used to be. So will we be the, the lead country in innovation and, 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 you know, curing cancer and all those things when, you know, we kind of soften the uh, strength and the rigor of education in order to allow more people in. Because if you if you lower the standards for people to get in, you can't really teach everybody at that same level because they won't right. all necessarily keep up. Right. It's 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 so frustrating to me. It's it to me. It's also very insulting when you tell a kid that because of their skin color um, that they can't achieve whatever that skin color is, that right. they can't achieve that. This is a 
You know, I, I'm sure you saw Tim Scott on The View talking with Sonny Hostin about this notion that he is the exception. And, you know, she's sitting there also as an exception, as is Whoopi Goldberg also as an exception. How many exceptions until we say it's not so exceptional? Right. That's true. Now, the one thing that the Tim Scott thing was interesting because obviously his demeanor and the way he, he, he you know, he... um so positively expressed his views there. It was great. And going into the lion's den, as yeah. you know, as you know, personally. Yes, I know. Yeah. But what I, I was sitting there, I was like, I thought it was good, but I wished it, I wished if I could just, you know, ch- channel and, and speak for him for a moment at the time, what, cause I knew what she was going to do is you got to play to that crowd. And I, she every time he made an, used an example, she said, but that person is an exception too. And you're yeah, right. right. How many right. exceptions can there be? But it's missing the point. That for the large, the majority of whites, just like most of them will never be vice president or a U.S. senator, most of them will not go to prison or, you know, be uneducated and all these other things that they th- assume black life is. So I wish he would have pointed out the fact that average Americans, you know, go to work, you know, work hard, raise the family, take care of their kids and live a positive life. Average Americans, you know, reach the their um the American dream. Th- th- we think it's rare, but it's not. So like she she threw a stat out to him saying when he talked about all this positivity saying yes but 40 percent of uh homeless people are black and and, and he, i would have said that may be true i didn't look at the stats but i'm going to assume that's correct but that's 40 percent of a small number of americans so you're talking about what a half a million people so that percentage of blacks the p- percentage of blacks that are home are less than half percent of blacks but almost 10 percent of blacks make over a hundred thousand dollars a year so you choose to focus on this very small percentage of people who are struggling, no doubt, but you ignore this larger, 20 times larger group of people because you choose to look at the exception as you claim Tim is. So what about the bulk of Americans? The bulk of Americans are living some struggle just like anyone else, but they have great lives. I don't know the black person that says, you know, I wish I was white with my life white because my life would be so much better. You know, stop acting as if, Black life is this terrible, toxic thing that people want to run away from. You know, we're just a part of America as anyone else. We have contributions and struggles like everyone else, but they're not unique, you know, and and talking about exceptionalism like no one else can do it after you made it, because like you said, <laughs> all of them have made it. Right. It's, it's not helpful. That's the bigger problem. Even if the country works as racist as you say it is. Sonny and Whoopi should be up there saying, but in spite of that, I made it. I know yes. the formula. Let me yes. teach you how you can succeed instead of saying, just throw your hands up and quit because there's no chance, even though I can see your success. What an awful message. And and he did use the word disgusting, Tim Scott. The senator right. said, I think it's a disgusting message. That was one of the, the adjectives he used. And I agree with him. I think it's horrible to tell people that the color of their skin determines their merit. You can talk about statistics. You can talk about the past. You can talk about all those things, but we have had a president of color. We currently have a vice president of color. We have many, many mayors and governors of color. This, this tide has been changing over time. Charles, I want to know how, how you were raised and how you came to this viewpoint that you, you possess. Well, one, I think I had an advantage of we didn't really have these political conversations. We talked about issues, but it wasn't like, you know, Democrats are great or Democrats are bad or Republican. I mean, my parents never talked about that. My parents talked about, you know, going to school, studying, working hard. They exemplified the norm. You know, you, I saw my father get up and go to work every day. Um, my father would say things like you should uh, assume 
positive intent, but you know, kind of like Reagan's trust, but verified. Yeah. But you, should, you shouldn't assume that because someone's black, that they're great. You shouldn't assume because someone's white, they're bad. You should hope they're, they're positive, but you know, you should inspect and monitor their behavior before you uh, make those assumptions. So I didn't really just look at people and assume based on their looks that I knew what they thought and they believed. We didn't promote bad negative behavior when I was growing up. I mean, obviously there was there was crime, and we 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 would see people in the community do Where things. Where did you grow nobody up? Would, nobody, I grew up in Gary, Indiana. Okay. Wow. Okay. In the seventies and eighties, I graduated high school when it was the uh, murder capital of the country. But sure was. You know, but in in all that, you know, like anything else, there's a certain neighborhoods. There's always going to be people who go down the wrong path. It was like, you know, choose the people you you hang around with wisely because if the circle of people are doing bad, you get pulled into that kind of stuff. It's just typical America, uh, you know, the typical types of, um, you know, values being taught. We, you know, went on vacation every summer. We drove, we didn't fly and do all that stuff, but we had a regular <laughs> life like anyone else. I didn't think that it was, you know, some, you know, negatively oppressive black life or anything like that. So I think that I came to my views because I was allowed to see things in an honest fashion, as opposed to being told you must think this way uh, and anything bad that happens to you is because of someone else. Well, something else I heard you say right out of the shoot was my parents, plural. And one of, you know, look, uh, Tony Dungy is a great friend of mine and I, he's not the only one who has gone on record as saying fatherlessness is a massive problem in the black community. And so clearly you had a two parent household. How much do you think that mattered? Oh, it mattered immensely. I think that um, I, I wrote in the first book, you know, you don't notice at the time, you know, I'm just saying yeah. my friends are you know, whatever. I grew up at a time it was a little bit better because when I was younger, it wasn't as bad as it is now. So most of my friends had both of their parents at home when I was like elementary school age. And as I got old, I remember it distinctly now, but it was funny, just noticing something was different, but not knowing why. When I got into high school, I noticed my friends and I, we all grew up in the same area. We hung out a lot. We were really tight in the same block, but their mentalities were a little different, the types of behavior, you know, skipping school, all that kind of stuff. And these were good kids. These were kids that got in trouble all the time. But what I noticed that over those six or seven years, you know, they had a, a parent die or they got divorced. or So for the last three or four years, they were living later living in single family family homes and it wasn't even the whole time so they had access to their father and they knew their father but it just became easier to just you know mom get up and go to work she has to leave before you so you just stay in bed and never go to school because she can't wait for you to get up little things like that yeah um but just not having that influence in their life at that critical time it made a difference and i noticed it i didn't know why because i was you know their contemporary at the time but later on i looked back and said what was the difference because we grew up in the same area the same socioeconomic uh you know background and everything's the same that was the one difference but what i will say to the single family thing as important as a father in a two-parent household is what i think we miss is that we need to try to change change it culturally because we're not going to legislate a difference to, to get people to understand the importance of both but for the kids who are, you know, six, seven, eight now, and they're going to go the next 10 years of their life with one parent, we know that's not going to change for them. And right. they need something that will affect, you know, give them a positive influence. So we, as the rest of us who understand that this is so important, need to find a way, some nonprofit or some way to create mentorships or engage and kind of become a stopgap. We have to get into it. We can't live in the homes, of course, but right. we have to become influences for these kids because, 
those those kids are never going to have two parents out because it's you know it's baked in at this point. Yeah. But they're gonna, what they see and what they learn and, and the influences they have in the next ten years are going to impact what they do when they get older. Well, do you see any? I, I think of what immediately comes to mind for me is Big Brothers Big Big Sisters, which mm-hmm. has had a tremendously positive impact on a number of kids. I don't know that that can completely fill the void, but what other, do you see organizations out there that are worthy of our attention in this way? I don't know. I've been looking, I mean, because like you say, it won't completely fix it, but I think it's an improvement. It's it's something, you know, because we can't, as bad as education has been lately, we can't rely on the schools to do it. Obviously (laughs) it's not enough. And then culturally they're shifting in the wrong direction. So they're going to teach them all the things they don't need to learn. So um, I think they need it, but I don't think it's it's done on a large enough scale. I mean, you talk, because as the numbers increase, you know, obviously you need, you know, multiples of the amount of people who are doing it and and we don't have it out there. So uh, it's not a fix. But the fix is to change the culture, to get back into church, to get people to understand that there's a moral right. But, you know, that's going to take generations because it took generations for us to get here. Right. Well, I, I you know, I, I hope I hope I, I, I maybe I'm just naive, but I keep holding out hope that it's going to happen. I mean, because th- the, the place for it to happen, no matter how many people hate us, is here. We have the most generous spirit in this country. And, and I, I wish that instead of paying off someone's student loans who they signed off on the paper, they knew what they were getting into. We were putting funds toward catching kids up. We have yeah. COVID. We have these kids who are, like I said, illiterate in, in every walk of life. Um, right. And I mean, good Lord, I read some stuff. You know, I, I'll, I'll get an email from a young student. And I think to myself, do they not know about that Grammarly app? You know, do they not, do they not, have they not been told how to punctuate? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's really depressing for me and it concerns me. And I have to fight this urge, Charles, to go, dear young student, I'd love for you to resend me this email <laughs> once you've corrected it grammar, you know, the grammar. But then I'm afraid of being called, you know, something. Uh, well, you know, punctuation is probably white supremacy. So it is. I think it is. I think so. Well, not only did you come out of your childhood with this, it seems to me, a very Martin Luther King kind of uh, judge, not by the color of the skin, but by the content of their character and trust but verify. Um, but you you do have a, a very conservative strain. And um that's got to cause some problems for you in some places. I mean, your Cut the Bull podcast, you don't care. None of you care about that, but none of you cares about that. But I just wonder, you know, what life has been like? Because black conservatives are generally, uh, you're ostracized, aren't you? Well, yeah, you know, it's it's interesting for me. You know, I try, you know, I, I try to focus on a really specific issue. So if I get, I think if I were talking more politics, a lot of my, my black conservative friends who, who are out there politically, yeah, they get called all kind of names. Not that I don't, but not as often because I'm a solutions guy. So I just say, is it working? And what can you do? You, if you think there's a problem, what can we do to improve, to improve it? That's all I really care about. Yeah. So if they say like, I'll have this conversation with you. 
I don't think I said anything all that right wing or, or radical, but people will say, yeah, you're just trying to, you know, make white people feel better or you're ignoring yes. the system of this, that or the other. Yes. But where I don't get into the politics, my reply is, but yeah, even if you're right that there's a system of racism, you're not fixing it. Nothing you've said in the last 20 years is going to fix it because all you say is the system is racist. What do you want to do? Tear it down. It's not going to happen. What do you want to do? Elect people who aren't racist. You can't you can't change human nature. So I just argue with uh, say to them that you're arguing the wrong thing. You're trying to fix human nature. It's the hubris of the of the secular. Let's be honest. Yes. You know, people who, who don't have a moral uh, guiding star, so to speak, just think they can make it up going along. And if they can make it up as they go along, then they can fix it. You know, let's just tweak the mind a little bit. Yeah, I know that's not going to happen. So all I say to them is everything you're talking about, we may or may not agree on. But the bottom line is, even if you're right, you're not going to move the needle because you're not trying to solve the problem. I ask people, all everybody I know, I'll say, think of all the black people, you know, all the people with letters behind their name, your PhDs, your MBAs, and how many of them are unemployed? To a person, left, right, center, black and white, they all say, none. They all have jobs. So why are you worried about the, what the racist thinks in his mind? Why are you worried about systemic racism? Sounds like if you just educate everyone, push them for, you know, to, to achieve what they want to be and to do what they want to do and to work hard, they'll be fine. Yeah. And then they can deal. whatever happens in society, they can deal with it easily because they'll be in a, in a, in a place where they have a comprehension level, where they can read and write and where they have a career. So it makes it a whole lot easier to deal with that stuff when you're successful than if you're struggling and poor and dealing with it. And they don't want to hear that. But, you know, I don't see, think you can listen to that and say it's right wing or it's political. Or anything no. Like it's it's very it's very commonsensical, but you know what? Common sense is is uh, we're, our country is a bit bereft of it right now, and hopefully that's starting. Again, I keep this measure of optimism in me that it's starting to change. We'll see if I'm right. One other case I want to talk to you about. Uh, I want to take advantage of our time together is this subway story in New York, mm -hmm. where this white uh, vet um, tried to restrain a black man who was really threatening to a lot of people on that subway car and the black man later expired and people want to say it's this guy's fault. He murdered him. This is, you know, and they're not accusing any of the other people who helped try to restrain the guy. They're just accusing this white military man. He mm -hmm. has come out and said, look, this guy was threatening not only me, but I had women on this car. I had children on this car that I saw that he was in their faces I was scared and I did what I thought was in the best interest of everyone there. And we've seen the protests, Charles, we've seen everything around this, and this is going to go to a grand jury. Um, why, why is this happening? I, I mean, it's pretty obvious to me, but I'd love to hear it from you. Well, I think it's happening because we pushed a narrative where uh, we, we pushed the race thing so far that every black person is obligated to care about every specific situation involving a black person more than anything else, which proves that this is to the detriment of society. Yeah. I wonder, whatever your views are on this issue, we, we talk about it because it makes the news, but I wonder why a lot of these things are even national news. I, I see these, some stories, I'm like, why are we talking about some woman? You know, the, I don't know if you saw the story with the girl, the lady in, on the bike in New York where they were oh, fighting yes. over a city bike. Like, why, is that a, why is that a national story? Who cares? So to get to the point, a protest in it, you know there's an issue. But beyond that, 
you know, if you if he happened to die and he wasn't completely wrong, but once it's, it's like driving while you're drunk, you can drive while you're drunk. A lot of times, if you don't get caught, it's no big deal. You get caught, obviously, there's an issue. So if they, if they want to charge him and see what happens, that's one thing. But it's the the instant narrative of obviously white man, black man guilty. It's all the pictures of him. Uh, uh, it's the little things that I think about. I don't think about the issue itself. It's the pictures of him and his Michael Jackson, uh, Jackson, and he's all cute. Look at that. But then uh, you see the video of the, of, of the actual incident and you're like, that's not the same guy. He's a totally different looking guy, but they want to do that. But also I was in, I, I'm in New York. So because it happened in New York, this one was unique. So it broke on Twitter for me before I saw the news. Cause I was, I was traveling. I didn't see the news that day, but when I watched the local news, the one thing that was interesting to me is they said they got six 911 calls. But the first four had nothing to do with the incident. So if it was so bad, if he just attacked this guy for breakdancing or doing the moonwalk, yeah. then the, the, the first two phone, uh, 911 calls would have been, that's this white guy who's menacing this wonderful uh, Michael Jackson impersonator. But the first four calls were about him harassing the people on the train. Right. So all these New Yorkers are saying, it's the norm, it's no big deal. This is what happens on the subway, stop being a baby. But if it happens so often, do most people call 911? Right. I'm thinking not. So if they got to the point that they thought they should call 911, obviously he was doing something. Doesn't mean he should have died. But if that guy decided, felt it was uh, far enough that he should jump in, I mean, that's for the courts to decide. But it, they're just racializing everything when they have no, they don't need to know whether it is. They're just going to say, look at the skin color and this is what we're going to do. And that's a problem. It is a problem. It's It's a massive problem and it's so pervasive. And I just... I just wonder when we're going to get over it. But I, I, when I talk to people like you, I, I garner a little bit of hope out of our conversations. I come away thinking, okay, there's, there's a group of people that are willing to, you know, and frankly, <laughs> I think that most of the people pushing this narrative um, that, you know, that racism and systemic racism and everything is so fierce, many of them are not black. Many of them are, are white liberals. I think we know this. I think we see it all the time. And uh, I just, uh, I just wish everyone could focus on making things better for everybody, emitting positive messages, encouraging people, reaching out rather than coming up with this dystopian. If you're black, you're oppressed. If you're white, you're the oppressor, which is basically the 1619 project. Mm -hmm. Um, before I let you go, what, if anything, gives you hope that we can change this? Oh, man, I guess what gives me hope is it's not that easiest thing. I think that what gives me hope is that Twitter's not real. <laughs> <laughs> I, I say that to say we watch people argue and we get mad. It's like, man, this country's going bad. Look, yeah. they're, they're defending this the thing, the gender with the kids. They're defending, yeah, yeah. you know, attacking guy because he's black or because he's white. But that's just a small subset of people, and it's just a few people on that platform. So what gives me hope is that most people aren't paying attention to this. Most people aren't arguing about Biden and Trump. They're not arguing what is a woman. Most people are going to work, trying to pay the bills, living their lives. The question is, how do we reach them to get them to know, you know how bad it has gotten? That creates another problem. But it still gives me hope because you and I see these news stories, see people on Twitter, and we think, you know, the country's going to hell in a handbasket because everybody's lost their mind. But no, really, it's the, you know, 
hundred thousand people out of a couple million people on Twitter that have lost their mind. It's not everybody. So that's what gives me hope. And there are some sane people like you on Twitter. So you're the ones worth amplifying and listening to. Hey, have you seen how this big ray of sun is coming across my screen? (laughs) I just wanted to point that out because it's very obvious. The dog opened the door to my office and there's this sun beating against some metal chair or something coming in through the window. I just wanted to explain that to people. I thought you had said something so important that you were illuminated. I Well, <laughs> that should always be the case, Charles. Yes, it's 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 a halo is what there it is. There you go. I'm illuminating people. Hey, it's I, I I'd love to have you back because, you know, these I, I do these short little bite sized podcasts that I think are really easy for people to digest in one walk or drive. But you have so much to say. And I love talking to you, Charles. So I, I do hope you'll come back. I would love to. You're the best. All right. Well, no, you're the best. <laughs> no, <laughs> you. <laughs> Let's go back and forth all day. There this ray go. of sun is the best. I'm gonna I'm gonna quit while I'm ahead with this sun. <laughs> hey, he is Charles and uh Charles Love. Race crazy. We want equality. Logic, the truth about uh black uh, about black and the Republican the truth about blacks and the Republican Party. Thank you. I need my glasses to see that. You're like me. I have to put my glasses on oh, every time I read. Charles, it's 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 not a good sign. It's not a good sign. Right. Uh, but the light on my face is a great sign. Um, thank you for being with us. As always, folks, check him out. Cut the Bowl podcast. Tremendous, tremendous stuff. He's on Twitter. Uh, read his books. Love this man. And that's why his last name is Love. That's what I'm convinced of. And for the rest of you, enjoy your day. Don't be afraid to be brave and do good. And thanks for listening. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.